I am Steve McLeod and you are listening to Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies. In episode 231, I catch up with my frequent co-host Ed Freifogel after a long summer break. Amongst other topics, we discuss how bad customer support will lose you customers. We also talk about yet more payment problems, a common theme on this podcast and a common theme in general for SaaS businesses. Ed, have you noticed that we're using new software this week to record this this chat, this conversation? As a matter of fact, Steve, I did notice that. Yes, yes. Aren't you curious as to why? Uh, sure. Yeah, tell me, because actually I thought the old software worked pretty well. What what would make you switch from one service to another? This is something of interest, obviously, to every SaaS business owner. So the, the product I'm using, for, for listeners who maybe don't recall themselves talking to people often over the internet, there's a category of software called podcast interview recording software that runs in the browser. And the one we have been using, it's it's good, but I ran into a problem with an interview recently or a few weeks ago where it didn't save the recording, and uh, which is really frustrating. Now, luckily, it makes this kind of low-fidelity backup, which doesn't have the conversation split into separate tracks. So it's it's hard to work with, but there was something I could use to save it. I paid somebody on Fiverr to try and split into separate uh, conversations so I could still edit it. But what got me a little bit annoyed about the situation is when I wrote to the company that I was using to record it and said, look, there's a problem. What's going on? How can I avoid this? They didn't really seem to care. They just sent me uh, in the answer some obviously pre-written text snippets that said, oh, you were doing things wrong. You should have done it like this, which no like sort of owning up that the software could have done better or saying we're sorry or anything at all. And I got it. It was actually quite an extended support interaction, and I was quite disappointed by it all. Uh, I consequently told a couple of people about this and heard from them they had had the exact same experience where the software had recently eaten up a couple of their recordings. Well, yeah, that's frustrating. That's right. I mean, it's frustrating that you lost the recording, but also frustrating that. Um, this interaction happened, it, particularly given they should have noticed that you're a longtime user of the software, right? So right, right. I guess right. it's possible you made a mistake, but why would you all of a sudden make a mistake after having already, you know, I, I get it yep. if it's like your first time using yep. the software, but. So the, the pre-written snippet was something like, oh, you're probably using it in a, in a work environment with a VPN that doesn't work well, you should turn all that off. And that's just not the case at all. I'm using it in the same environment I always have. And right. uh, eventually I, I kept on writing like to them, look, you seem to be sending me pre-written snippets, but it doesn't describe what's happening. Like, like, do you have any idea? Do you have any logs? Do you do you want to know more information to stop this happening in the future? And eventually they escalated me to someone else who just said, look, you can have your next month for free, which was something, but I felt like it took a long time to get there and they still never really apologized. So I thought, well, I'm going to use this as a, a chance to see what else is out there in the market. And uh, I did that search. You know when you do a search for an alternative to a product and you end up with well-written SEO content, but if you add Reddit as a keyword in the search term, then you actually get some really honest stuff coming from a Reddit conversation. Hmm. So I did that and it uh, recommended this one I'm trying now, which I will name. It's called remotely.fm. And people were just saying, 
basically a similar story to mine. They had been using one of the other products. They had been having problems with uh, reliability and they found that this one is just solid. Well, let's see. Let's see. Obviously, if listeners can hear this, then I guess it worked out. But it's a tough problem, man. I can imagine yeah. for these yeah. companies, given that they could, you know, obviously it depends heavily on your local configuration and your network and things, which they have no control over. But yeah, they're trying to make something that's fundamentally quite difficult, which is converting analog yeah. speech in a home or noisy situation from two people in two remotely different locations to uh, to a digital format that's got good sound quality, et cetera. Maybe not in the hands of people who have ever actually recorded sound before. But this, but you know, this gets to a good point, Steve, because one the conventional wisdom is as quickly as possible, you know, the founder should outsource support or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I guess maybe you should, but you have to make sure that the people who are doing the support have the ability to actually go deeper on the problem, not just fire back pre-written snippets, right? Yeah. But that kind of yeah. missed the point. So, I mean, and typically if you have a product that's very technical, then, you know, it can be very difficult to find, you know, of course you can hire someone to just answer with snippets, but what effect is that going to have on my, on my actual customers? Like yeah. this very scenario where I just got so frustrated and disappointed with them for feeling like they weren't acknowledging the problem even existed. Yeah. Well, that's tough, man. Yeah. That's tough. Word. So the, the product I am now trying in the pricing plan, one of the items under even the cheapest pricing plan was great support. And like, boy, did they, did that like strike a, a positive chord with me or is that the expression? Yeah. It's like, oh, great. That's what I want. A company that's actually promising upfront that the support's going to be great. But did you actually try it? I mean, obviously everyone can promise us great support. <laughs> they should, do they actually deliver? <laughs> well, that's the thing is you kind of hope that you never actually need to use support. Mm. So for me, great support, one of the, one of the hallmarks of great support is that although it's there, you don't actually need it because everything about the product is great. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, there's also another little story there that I've already mentioned is that I couldn't, when I was searching for this alternative to the previous product, I kept on getting SEO content, well-written SEO content. And when I, and I didn't come up with this product remotely.fm and it was only when I added the Reddit keyword that I actually found it. And it just shows that uh, having a good product is important, but there's so much about just making sure your product is at the top of the organic search results. Uh, sort of trumps almost everything else. Well, it kind of is, frustrates me too. This is the nightmare, man, of like, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, you need to have this programmatic SEO content and capture every, the long tail and whatever. And so then the end result is you have more and more content that's not written for humans. It's written for Google scrapers. Yeah. This, this is my main complaint about Google. It's like, this is not the internet I want. No, I think we're all like that. Escapers. I mean, uh, but you know, I, I totally get why people do it. That's the that's the game you have to play, and it's rewarded. Yeah, you have so, no option if you want to get people to find your product by Google search. You really have to do the content that actually Google favors, and uh, you feel dirty. I feel dirty doing it sometimes. It's like, come on, this is we've we've made this article much longer than it needs to be, just because we've learned that if we we make it really concise, then Google won't rank us. Right. For one example of uh, what you have to do to get noticed by Google. 
Yeah, I don't know. With that, something else to change there because you know what? Have, what, have you heard about these people who make these nonsense videos? Like, it, basically, they're kind of doing the same thing, but on YouTube, particularly targeting young children. So you know, there'll be these videos for young kids, and and basically, they can algorithmically put together these just kind of nonsense clips of. You know, I guess there's some actual material at some point, but then it just gets mixed and rehashed. And it's just like, you know, people dancing and like saying some words or something, but it makes no sense. It's gibberish. Okay. Right? Uh, but, you know, so then they can, they mass produce these, you know, I don't know, you make a hundred thousand of these videos, like in different colors and different, you know, whatever. And, and it's just gibberish. Right. And then they stick it on YouTube and the YouTube algorithm starts uploading it, um, you know, starts, starts. And, you know, parents put their kid in front of like, you know, a Disney video or something on YouTube. And then, you know, five videos later, they're into the gibberish. And, and it's just like, what the hell is this? Like, why, yeah. why, why, what are we doing here, guys? This is the brave new world we were promised exactly. in the late it's 90s. Just, I don't know, man. It, it, it's worrying. It's particularly, I mean, it's annoying for me as a, as a web user. But then when you see this affecting your kids, you're like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, what, what are you people doing? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, man. It's all these things. It's such a double-edged sword. Because, like, of course, it's super convenient that you can go on YouTube and find any song or any video, you know, from 20 years ago. If I, I don't know, man. Or, or you can go into Google search and type in some obscure search term and then find some. I honestly, I, I don't really use Google search anymore. I switched to DuckDuckGo, but, but also increasingly, I don't even use search. I just go straight to, if I want to read about something, I go to Wikipedia, you know, or. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't use search that much. I really don't. I mean, of course, sometimes if there's some very specific term that I need, but in general, like I, I'm not a big searcher. Oh. <laughs> uh, because I just don't trust the output. I, like exactly as you said, it's just. I think I don't need to read some rehashed SEO content. Yeah, written, written to make Google happy. Uh, mm. Dave Collins from Software Promotions always says you should write for humans, not spiders. By spiders, he means, of course, like the Google bot that crawls the sites. Yeah, but it's not rewarded. It's not yeah. necessarily rewarded. I feel um, that's the case these days. And you keep, you know, we keep hoping that's going to change every time there's a Google update. Finally, Google's fixing it with their super super smart people that they pay a lot of money to. And then we just get the same old stuff. The, the, uh, the marketers, us marketers, I mean, we've got to include ourselves in that as business owners, we find the new thing that the algorithm tweaks reward. And it's yeah. always, it's always, uh, it's always going to be a losing proposition, I think. Anyway, let's, let's move on to happier topics, Steve. David, how was your summer, man? Give me the update. How you been? <laughs> I'm afraid that's not a happy topic. I had a terrible summer. I had a terrible summer. I, um, right at the beginning, I came down with a cough that was uh, quite deep in the in the chest and was leaving me very tired. And I went to a doctor and he said, it's okay. Go get a chest X-ray just in case. And I got the chest X-ray and he said, yeah, nothing to worry about. You'll get better. Two weeks later, I'm still not better. And I go again. And he says, yeah, yeah, it'll take time, but you'll be better. Here's some cough syrup in the meantime. And uh, I was coughing so much, I tore chest muscles. So basically, I was in even more pain when coughing and in pain when sleeping, and uh, oh it wasn't COVID. Well, I know what you're all thinking out there, people. It wasn't COVID, but 
at the moment, at the same time, uh, it was the beginning of the holidays, and that was when the whole airline system in Europe was nightmares with delays of hours and so on. Sure. So, so if I tried to fly somewhere with that cough, not only was I going to be stuck in an airport, a good yeah. chance I'd be stuck in an airport for hours, but I'd be like coughing my lungs out. And at the moment, it's like socially unacceptable to cough in public. You do it, and people just think you're giving me COVID. The other, the other night I was on a bus and I got exactly that situation. I got like some dust in my throat or something. So I, was, I had to cough and yeah, you could, the evil looks of people <laughs> like, no, no, it's just, it's just dust. I just need, I just need a drink of water, but, um, no. So, I'm really so wait, what, what was this cough? It was an allergy or something or, or, or what is don't, it? Don't know, but my girlfriend had had it for a few, a few weeks and she went to the doctor and he gave her antibiotics and it cleared up. And my daughter had a cough. I can't remember, remember the uh, who had it first, but she also went to the doctor and was given some antibiotics and it cleared up. And when I go to the doctor, he's like, I get the doctor who's one of these ones who believes you just got to tough it out. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger type of guy. And just just uh, kept giving me this like um, palliative stuff, you know, like the cough, cough syrup, which suppresses the cough, but doesn't cure you. Right. So, but he didn't seem to be alarmed. So it kind of made the holiday suck quite a bit. It was only towards the end that I got well enough that we could actually get in the car and drive somewhere to a resort for a few days. And and wait, so so then what happened? How did you spend the rest of the summer? Getting very frustrated, very low in energy, trying not to uh, be driven up the wall by my daughter, who also felt like um, caged. You know, the, here in Spain, the, the the whole childcare system just shuts down for a couple of months, uh, unless you've pre-booked your kid into some summer program, which we hadn't because we thought we were going away. So yeah, <laughs> we had a, a series of babysitters who come and help out for a couple of hours a day, and they kept on like going on holiday. It can't help anymore, and I was never really sure whether they were really going on holiday or they had just had enough of uh, us. I'm being awfully cynical there. They were actually going away. So, yeah, it got a bit frustrating, but, uh, you know, life could be much worse. And we still have a swimming pool here and the beach is just 10 minutes walk away. So if you're going to get stuck anywhere for the summer, like living 10 minutes walk from the beach in Barcelona is as good a place as any. Yeah, uh, uh, sure. But you still need a change of pace and, um, you know, change of scenery, change of perspective. And also, man, Barcelona in the summer is hot as hell. Well, it's not the heat, Ed. It's not the heat. It's the humidity. So yeah, that was my summer. But you know, I find it kind of boring hearing people on on podcasts drone on about the things like that. So I don't want to go on too much about it, except to say I'm here and uh, business uh, business got by. It was slow, but actually, you know, I'm curious to know how you managed to cope with your business. Like what you did over the summer. Do you just be responsive and answer? emails as they happen or do you put aside an hour a day and say to the family look i'm not available from 9 a.m till 10 a.m or something like that yeah well it varies so so first of all um obviously i'm not the only person in my business who uh, my my co-founder so at some points i'm fully on holiday at other points he's fully on holiday and we try ideally not to you know overlap those um and other than that no i just kind of yeah, just here and there, you know, basically, basically product development comes to a halt. And instead we're just, you know, if there's a support issue or a customer question or something, deal with that. But, but we're not really doing anything new, really. Um, I guess the, the thing that keeps going is some of the marketing efforts. 
you know, we do this, um, once a month we do this like online geo trivia contest or, you know, I have the geo podcast that comes out every week and stuff. So, but a lot of that we did kind of ahead of time, prepared it ahead of time mm -hmm. in, in June and stuff before, before school got out. So that then when school was out, I could just and drop out the episodes or whatever. Um, I try to, I try to really slow it down and take it easy, visit friends, family, travel, but it is hard. I mean, it's hard because you're always kind of thinking about the business on the other and at IDM, dude, you generally check email at least once a day or whatever. Uh, yeah, that, but, that's I'm curious about. Does your phone ping you when a support email comes in and then you just set aside? No, I check. I mean, I first of all, I have all my email, my work email and my private email. There's no distinction. They all go into the same inbox. Um, um, okay. So, and, and you're probably checking your phone 20 times an hour like every all of us do. Yeah, days. exactly. So, um, but... But I will say in the last year, I've gotten pretty ruthless about reducing my, my amount of email and just, um, you know, unsubscribing from everything. And, uh, even within the business, like, you know, anything that doesn't need to be an email, isn't an email. We try to reduce it quite a lot. So, um, yeah, it works out. It's fine. It, it, it's totally manageable. Um, uh, but the main thing is just, yeah, I mean, there's, the, the, basically minimal product development um, yeah. the only yeah. the product development is only really if there's some urgent bug or something that needs to be fixed yeah which um, is kind of the reality when you're a family right. of children what can you do it's different if you have a team of people who don't have children or are in different parts of the world where the holiday time is different but otherwise well, here in europe <laughs> steve I, the, the other thing is that i this is this was one last thing that was quite frustrating this summer is so I had the idea of like, you know, just because I'm going to be on holiday doesn't mean everything needs to stop. Why don't I outsource some projects, right? And I had two kind of bigger projects that in June I found freelancers to work on. So one was like a content product project uh, and one was a, um, a design project. And both of them ended up getting canceling, canceled because the freelancers canceled on me. Uh, I mean, in one case, the, the content project, she, um, basically had some family issues and just couldn't, you know, had to, some health issues within her family that she had to deal with, you know, which is fine. But, uh, and then the, the, the designer at one point, you know, a week before the project is supposed to kick off and I had actually set aside some time. It's just like, yeah, sorry, I'm still busy on another project. Can we just, you know, push back three months? Three months. Uh. And, uh, well, you know, it, it wasn't, this was kind of a nice to have project, not an urgent project. So, you know, I was like, well, you know, and, and he was friendly about it. He was like, well, you know, I could, um, you know, if you need to, if you, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm not offended if you need to go forward with someone else. But it's like, man, I don't, you know, I don't have time to find someone else. Uh, or I, I don't want to make the time to find someone else. Right. So yeah, it just has gotten delayed. And then we, so it, as a result, some of the work I had planned on doing was managing those projects and, but neither went forward. So hopefully now both will go forward now in this month and in October. But this is the other frustration I have. People are often like, oh, well, you know, you should outsource things. And, you know, as the founder, you should be delegating and make yourself replaceable. And I, I don't know, man, over the last year or so, I've had real difficulty doing this. Like, it's hard to find reliable people, you know, that have the skills, that, uh, you know, want to be freelancers, that you can depend on, that, 
you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's always hard finding good people to work with. It takes a lot of effort and often some false starts. But when you do find the right people, boy, you know it when you have the right people <laughs> because they're just doing so much. You see so much more progress, but your involvement's much less. But getting to that, I, I find it really frustrating when you find a freelancer who wants their handheld, like every half an hour, they want to ask you a question. And uh, some people, like you can let inform them, look, I'm happy. I, I trust you to make these decisions or just batch them and ask me once a day. Right. Some people just never get to that point. They just never seem to they trust themselves or they've come from an environment in which that's how things work and that's what they want. That that I find really frustrating. I have had, had that, that a couple of people go over the over yeah. my career because I just could not get them out of that mindset. And basically my product, I was actually getting less done than I was before they were around because of this constant interruptions. Sure. So how, how are you doing in general? I mean, economically, like you had a good summer or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, feature up vote has keeps growing, growing slowly, which has always been by design. Um, also gives me an out if it's not growing quickly, cause I can say that's what I intended. Um, yeah, no problems. Everything's been smooth. And, uh, the two people I have work on it, uh, on a regular basis, it's my marketer and my developer. They both kept working over the, the summer break for most of the summer break anyway. They both uh, don't have children at this stage. So um, they were happy to do that. So yeah, things kept moving, you know, features were getting developed, bugs were getting fixed, marketing content was being written and so on. Nice. Yeah, it was new, nice. New, new customers are coming in or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? It's just kind of business as normal. So it's almost like nothing to report. Well, if it's gone in the right direction, that's fantastic. Yeah. I I was getting a bit overwhelmed trying to work more on the business than I was able to at the beginning of the holidays. And it took a couple of weeks to just realize that uh, with us being here and not being in Italy where grandparents and family would help uh, with childcare that I was um, not really able to get anything done. Except, you know, be responsive to emails as they come in. And we get so few support emails. If we get five emails in a week, that will right. be considered a normal week, maybe even a busy week. Okay, nice. You know, one reason I asked, though, is um, we noticed over the summer, I mean, your point about having few support emails, actually, we don't have that many support emails either. But this, the issue I did have to deal with quite a lot is... Failed payments, chasing payments, you know, customers who don't respond when they're, uh, you know, that the, we try the Stripe tries to build them a couple times and then eventually it gives up and the subscription ends. And the, you know, was that and, July? Because July was like that for me. Very yeah, much July so with, with also August. with Stripe. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I don't know if Stripe changed something about their algorithms or if it's, uh, I'm sure they you know, did. Maybe, maybe it's the, you know, the global economic slowdown because there were, there, were, there were a big increase in, in failures of, of payments. Also, sometimes because of, um, you know, insufficient funds. Hmm. Um, but, but, you know, that's just it. Like every, every one of these cases, you've got to try to like investigate it, figure out, am I, do I need to take some action here or not? Or, um, and it, it was really a noticeable increase, really. Uh, so, yeah. We saw a much bigger increase in failed payments, but not an increase in churn. All those people at the same rate as usual fixed up their credit card situation. So it made me think it was, could be perhaps a, a new 
uh, development in the SCA, the strong customer authentication yeah, system. Yeah. Maybe maybe some arbitrary timeline had been met in some European countries or something. I don't know. I didn't investigate. I didn't have enough data really to conclude whether right, it was from right. particular countries. We but had yeah. the, this morning a super. So I woke up, you know, and I check, um, and I see the notification that someone started the purchase process on Stripe and, you know, put in their credit card and, and a big, you know, Stripe created the customer and it, you know, basically they got to the point they got, they made it through the first stage of payment and now they have to do the second stage the where, you know, they get the SMS from their bank or whatever and put it and they haven't done it yet. And that's so frustrating because you're like, this person clearly wants to be a customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like situated like that, you're like, well, should I do, you know, so should I send an email to the person and try to, you know, encourage them or should I just do nothing or should I? So do- my, my opinion is you should write to them and say, Hey, I noticed you tried to purchase, but for some reason it didn't go through. Let me know if I can help in any way. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I then did. But, but exactly. It feels wrong to do nothing. So you yeah. have to do something, but it's yeah. not clear that this is like really an effective use of your time, you know, or, yeah. or. But Ed, Ed, it's called running a business, right? Running a business is filled with all these annoying little things that exactly. nobody talks about when they're saying, oh, how to create the customer sign up flow, whatever. They never uh, address the reality that things fail for all sorts of reasons and you have to break out of that well-designed flow and some things just can't be automated. Well, this did get me. So do you use any of these um, Dunning services? Nah. You know? Because after we had this huge increase in failed payments in um, in July and August, it was the first time I was like, because because right now we don't use any of those either. We just rely on Stripe to send the you know the the failed payment email. And for the first time ever, I was like, oh, maybe we do need one of these services. Because and so then I started investigating it, and actually Stripe, I do think the Stripe emails are not great. Um, you know so. So I found one of these pages and they kind of, you know, the first question you asked was like, well, why should I use one of these if Stripe is already doing it? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I found, um, a pretty comprehensive page that did a good job of explaining it. And they were like, look, you know, the Stripe email is generic and, you know, maybe it has a little icon with your logo or whatever on it, but it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't connect to your systems in the sense of like, ideally what you would want to do is give the user an email fully in your brand. That also, you know, they can log into their account and do things in their account dashboard. It's kind of confusing for a user, right? If, if like, you know, it's like, why am I getting email from Stripe if I'm a customer of OpenCage? Like, you know, it, I, you know, obviously some people get it, but but some people don't, right? And, um, you know, I don't know. It it doesn't. I, I'm I'm now debating. Basically, I moved from not being in the market for one of these services to actually now maybe I'm in the market for one of these. So, so it's your you you monitor your churn revenue churn closely. Yeah. I'm sure. Is it an acceptable level? The it, churn, the overall churn, is at an acceptable level. It's just I want to I want I want to eliminate the stress of these people who like you know takes you know five failed payments before they get around to fixing it before and then you know. We have some of the people exactly as you say, where the payments fail, if it fails a couple of times, I reach out by email, mm-hmm. they ignore it. Then eventually we turn the account off or we somehow limit it. And then all of a sudden they wake up and then they, you know, and, and this whole process kind of drags on. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the end, maybe they do fix it. But at that point, you know, I'm getting paid, you know, almost a month later than I should have gotten paid. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, it's not the end of the world. But but the main thing is just I want to get I want to be out of the loop on this. I want a system that solves itself, you know, as much as possible. So, yeah, I I went through this last year, this this way of thinking and looked into options and whatever and started chasing up each person individually with handwritten emails after researching if the person, my contacts still at the company via LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn tells you this stuff. And uh, then I looked, uh, after doing it for a few months, I looked at my revenue churn and there was no difference. Right. Like revenue churn was the same as whether I did this or if I didn't. So uh, I think nothing works as well as our cut off the customer approach yeah, but which maybe like- with your api based product that's not so obvious but with us like if any of their customers tries to go to their, their feedback board that we provide they see like it says like this board is like um, no longer available if, if you're the owner you need to update your payment details they see that and it gets sorted out really quickly if they still want to use us yeah okay that that works for your product that doesn't really work for my product um, so then I decided it wasn't worth paying any money to one of these stunning companies or whatever, or even like putting too much effort into chasing up people. Yeah, I gotcha. But what I do do is if uh, what you mentioned happened, did you say it happened today? A, a Somebody tried to start a subscription and didn't finish it. In those situations, yeah, well, I, always, I always do contact them and say, look, I'm here to help. And it's for my own email account with my signature saying founder. So they know they're talking directly to the owner of the company. Gotcha. And that happened one notable case last year. Uh, they got back to me and said, yeah, our credit card, uh, our company bank account doesn't allow a payment of this level. They were trying to buy several boards on a yearly plan. So we're talking several thousand euros. Right. Said, um, we're going to get in touch with the bank and try again tomorrow. And then the next day they wrote and said, look, can we just pay by invoice? Uh, or maybe I even suggested it to them. If that fails, let me know. Maybe we can let you pay by invoice. And now they do that. You know, it really was worth doing in that case. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sure. But the Dunning um, one, that's an interesting question. And uh, I, I also a little bit scared of letting some third-party organization contact people representing my company. Uh, I'm scared of people doing the strong sales approach too strong than I would like in my name. But I think with most of these churn services, you, you know, you define the emails that go out, right? Oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, okay. you can, I mean, but what, probably, the... probably they give you defaults, but, but you yeah. can then set them to whatever you, whatever okay. you think is appropriate. One of the ones I looked into, they actually did, they claimed to do the work of trying to find the right person in your organization, et cetera, oh, right. okay. and they moved on and. So it's that thing. It's like, are they just going to be too persistent? Are they going to be too persistent to the wrong person, et cetera? Hmm. And then, and then I eventually concluded I was trying to solve a problem I didn't really have. Well, if you come across any solution, let me know. Cause that, that was one thing that became apparent this summer is like, this yeah. is a pain point that we need to somehow, I don't know, a combination of automation, outsourcing or what, but I want to like- try to simplify it. What I'd like is to have a person working with me whose job was to do all these annoying little tasks that don't take up much time, but all added together, all the different tasks do and just have to be done. But unfortunately, they require such a thorough knowledge of the whole company if someone's going to do all of these. 
It requires an audit company access to all the financial accounts, you know, to see like, oh, did this invoice get paid or not? Like access to the Stripe account, uh, you know, which yeah, of course you can hire someone and, and build trust with them. But, and, and frankly, I mean, we just don't have the volume to yeah. justify it. It's, 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 it's the price hour... you pay for having, it's the price you pay for having a well-run company, Ed. Uh -huh. If you, if you ran your company worse, then you'd get more value out of an assistant. Well, I guess I mean the the takeaway for us is we're gonna, we're now it's on the agenda for this autumn as a project of like how can we let's map out exactly what happens when a payment fails and when it fails repeatedly and who at which point should we do what and how can we automate all those steps as much as possible or you know simplify them and uh, and maybe maybe this week you know, create some email templates that we can then just very quickly modify and fit to the individual situation or whatever. Um, I'm going to be a bit sarcastic here. I'm going to say that sounds like fascinating work. I really envy you. Well, it's, you know, it, it's not fascinating. There, there is some enjoyment in, you know, building a little system or whatever, and yeah. you have your little train set that you play with. But the, the fascinating part is, then next summer, when I'm on holiday, hopefully I can see the benefit, right? And and have even fewer emails and things to do, so. Indeed, indeed. Hey, Ed, I think it's time we wrap things up. I, Steve, I, I have a lot more ranting about failed payments to do. We're <laughs> going to need to carry this over for another Wait, Maybe we should do a, a special marathon edition where we go for five or six hours just cool. ranting about failed payments we haven't even sure. talked about uh, uh brazilian banks indian banks um there's a lot more ground to cover mm. here so do you listen to that or have you listened to that podcast uh i think it's something about history hardcore history yeah where where the episodes really are five or six hours long sure that's yeah, amazing because it's yeah it's just one guy talking yeah and yet they are so captivating yeah. I mean, they're really fantastic. Um, yeah, highly and, recommend them. Yeah, I don't think we've got what that guy has got. I think very few podcasters can do that. But yeah, that's an amazing one. We'll keep our podcast episodes short. Oh, <laughs> all <laughs> right, well, that's all for this week. We'll catch up again soon. See you next week, Steve. Bye. Bye, Ed. Bye, everybody.